Hey, you're listening to Can I Say That? with Brenna and Austin Blaine. Hey guys, this week on the show we are talking about politics and I got to sit down with my friend Stephen Dowling who I actually used to be on staff with in youth ministry at a church a few years back and so it was really good to catch up with Stephen and to have a discussion about what I think a lot of Christians are currently thinking about and struggling with when it comes to how do we interact with politics and also include our faith. There might be some times during this podcast episode that you'll be tempted to turn it off or to not listen. But I want to ask that you would press into this conversation and wait until the end. Maybe write down some notes, some thoughts, and figure out, okay, what part of this is challenging me personally? Lastly, I just want to ask you guys to share. If this podcast episode or any other podcast episode of the Can I Say That show has affected your relationship with Jesus or your view on spirituality and current culture in a positive way, I would love to hear about that. You might not know this, but every time you share about us on social media, we have the potential of reaching dozens to hundreds of other Christians who have questions just like you. And we want to invite them into our community to ask hard questions, to press in, and to learn more about who God is, even in the midst of difficulty and hard current social situations. So thanks so much for being a part of our community, whether you know us in person or you know us from the internet. We love you guys so much and I hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, so let's start off with a super basic question. Should Christians be involved with politics? Should they vote? Should they be involved with social reform? Should they talk about their feelings on the internet about politics and why or why not? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I love that that's where we started with because if anything's been clear in the last year or so, or really the last recent history, Christians have been really involved in politics. And I think in general, when we think of that, we focus on the really bad examples we see. But, you know, some argue that Christians shouldn't be in politics. The argument that I've heard is that it's such a toxic area. It's such an area of compromise and difficulty for a Christian to engage in that, that some people would say, it's just not possible for a Christian to step into an environment like that and stick by their their biblical values and, and how they believe they're supposed to live their life. For me, with all these questions, um, anything like this, I, I really just have to go. When I look at the example in the Bible of Jesus, um, who we're told is the image of the invisible God, what do we see there? And on a broad level, we see that we know we know that God looked at the world, he saw a broken place, and Jesus stepped into that brokenness and that that chaotic scene. On a broad level, I think we see that pattern in scripture. Similarly, we know that part of our mission is to go into all the world and make disciples of all people, and that God does send us into difficult environments sometimes. And then if you boil it down to a to a career level, I I would say there's very few careers or places of engagement in our world that you can say definitively, yeah, Christians shouldn't be involved in those areas. We we can definitely think of some places that no <laughs> no Christian should be. Uh, a Christian probably should not 
be a cartel leader. That <laughs> uh, I, I don't know that anyone can make a good case for biblical cartel leadership. But when it comes to something like politics or being a doctor, being a lawyer, being a teacher, anything like that, I, I think the question becomes more, am I the type of Christian who God wants in this, in this environment? We, we see, we've, we've all seen examples of people who are, might have a belief in Jesus, but they're led to jump into an environment for the wrong reasons. Maybe it, it kind of itches something that isn't good for them. So when it comes to politics, I would just say, you know, are you someone who can step into this area with a real heart to do it for the right reason? Can you do it in a way that that doesn't make you change who you are and change who you believe? I think if there's one thing we've seen with politics in the last recent history, it's that politics do matter because because they affect people. And as a Christian, um, we, we should want to step into areas that are able to have an impact on because we should want to have an opportunity to impact people for the better. And so as a Christian, if you're stepping into politics, you can affect change through policies. Again, I think in scripture, it says we're called to love God with our all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that that is something that we have to keep in mind as we step into politics. We're also called in scripture to live peaceably with all. So can I, be a, can I be a Christian in politics who isn't adding to all the chaos and backstabbing and fighting and all that? And we are called to, to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly. Um, to me, like if there's a verse that makes the most sense for why a Christian should be involved in politics, probably Micah 6.8. God does call us to have a heart for justice. I'm, I don't know if we'll get to Romans 13 at some point, but Romans 13 is one that a lot of Christians talk about, that that some form of government is initiated by God. It is a vessel for doing justice. But what are we going to do while we're doing that? Are we going to love kindness and walk humbly? Are those going to be the character marks of the way that we engage in politics? So that would be kind of like my own biblical reasons that I see for why a Christian should be involved in politics. And and then if we look in our recent U.S. history, I think we have lots of great examples, both in U.S. history and world history, of Christians who stepped into politics for the right reasons. Um, some that I'm learning a little bit more about would be um, someone like William Wilberforce, who was in the UK, and, and he got involved in politics to help end slavery. Fannie Lou Hamer, I don't know if I said the name right. <laughs> um, I've been reading them about her. But she she was a Christian who saw the problems with Jim Crow rules in the, in the South, and she decided... I'm a Christian and I want to get involved politically so that people can legally vote and they can have that right. Um, and then obviously, I think the most notable example that many of us think of is Martin Luther King Jr., who we know he was a, a pastor and a theologian and a Christian, but he was very involved in a political sense too. I would argue, could we not say he's one of the most notable Christians involved in politics in the last 50 to 100 years. So with anything, with any job, that's what I think. The question isn't, is it okay? Or actually, I would say, yes, it's okay for Christians to be in politics. But the better question is, am I the right person to be involved in this area? Something that I've really been struggling with is, if we are going to be involved in politics as Christians, should we allow our biblical beliefs to dictate how we vote and to what length Something that I've, I've thought about a lot is right this really prominent idea when it comes to evangelicals is like our ethics with being pro-life and how that really affects how a lot of evangelicals vote. But then I also think about this other aspect where it's like I wouldn't want someone else's religion to dictate how I live 
when it comes to the law of the land or the law that my state is employing. So are we supposed to allow our biblical beliefs to dictate how we vote? And if so, to what length? I mean, on one hand, I would say whether we think our beliefs should dictate how we vote or not, they, they already do. I mean, that's what that's what we've seen for a long time now is, is people advocating that they are voting this reason because of what they see in the Bible. I, I think when it comes to a question like that, a helpful frame of mind for a Christian to look through is the idea of our, our dual citizenship. That's something that scripture talks about, how we are we are citizens ultimately of the kingdom of heaven. And that's the thing that takes most priority and takes our first allegiance. But we are also citizens of a particular place in in the history of the world. And times we see referenced in scripture, it might be Rome. Rome might be the place of citizenship. Jesus himself talks about this topic of citizenship when, when he says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar. So as a Christian, we have to hold those two things in tension. Um, we do know that our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven is the most important um, and takes priority, but God also does call us to be good citizens, good neighbors, where we're at there. I think what what you hit on there with that question is is so key because I think on a base level, it's, okay, why are you trying to inject that belief into what you're voting for? Are you doing so because you believe by forcing people to live by your biblical beliefs that this nation will become the Christian nation that it's supposed to be, or that by forcing them to to live this way, they'll see that it's a better way to live. I'm not convinced that that's the best way to show people the the goodness of Christianity, the the goodness of, of Jesus. One really helpful book for me in the last year of learning how to integrate my faith in the political realm is a book by a guy named Miroslav Volf called The Public Faith. And his basic contention is that for a lot of Christians throughout human or throughout history, it was a strictly Judeo-Christian environment, but the society that we find ourselves in today in in the U.S. and the Western world at large is pluralistic. Americans today have all sorts of faiths, spiritualities, religions, or no religion at all, none of the above. So what that doesn't mean is that I can't be a Christian and seek to model my faith in the world around me. But what that does mean is that there are things, things are going to be more complicated. And as a result, it's, it's not so simple just to say, hey, we're going to put Christian beliefs and practices into society and it'll go smoothly. Because again, like you said, what if, what if a different religion tried to do that? That would, that would cause a lot of problems for us as Christians. If, I don't know, take, take any religion you want, if their beliefs and practices started being forced on us as Christians, we would, we would really find ourselves in a difficult point of view. So there, there's two quotes that I, that I kind of pulled from that book that I were really helpful to me in just shaping how we look at it. First, there's, there's one part where he says, the way Christians work toward human flourishing is not by imposing on others their vision of human flourishing and the common good, but by bearing witness to Christ who embodies the good life. In that sense, if I'm asking, should we allow our biblical beliefs to dictate how we vote into what length? If I see a way to something I believe in that I think works toward the common good um, and is beneficial to all people, regardless of if, if they're a Christian or not, um, I think it's natural to want to see those things injected into politics. But when we start to try to change people 
simply by putting our Christian beliefs into practice. I, I, I just think that's where we get into some really scary territory and honestly, some territory that this nation was founded to get away from. So another quote of his that I really liked, he said, Christ came to redeem the world by preaching, actively helping people, and dying a criminal's death on behalf of the ungodly. In all aspects of his work, he was a bringer of grace, a coercive faith, a faith that seeks to impose itself and its way of life on others through any form of coercion is also a seriously malfunctioning faith. I I think this is really important for several reasons. One is you do hear a lot of people talk about the fact that America was founded as a Christian nation. I, I do believe that. But if you really look at the reason for why the U.S. came into existence, it's that there was a group of Christians who found themselves in England and were told that there was only one way of Christianity that that you could practice. So they left that place to come to a new place where they could practice their Christianity freely without being told by the government. And so we, we can say that America was when it was founded, it was a Christian nation simply because that's mostly what people were. But if you want to argue from a constitutional standpoint, you can't really say from a constitutional standpoint that America is a Christian nation. Let me clarify. Are there Christian ideals that were thought of and and really inspired how the Constitution was phrased? Absolutely. They were Christians. So, So their beliefs flowed out into the document they were writing. But what's written into it is the freedom of worship. And so that's, that's a really helpful rudder for me. Do I, do I want this belief to be enacted into policy because I want everyone to worship God like I do? If that's the motive, I, I, one, I don't think we can say that that's what the Constitution would allow for. So there's our American citizenship. But on a kingdom of heaven citizenship, where do we get the idea that forcing people to worship our way will make them change and, and actually want to, to worship our way? So that, that coercive type of faith he talks about, I think that's important. And I, I, I think that's the reason there's so much fighting going on today is, is a lot of people, not just Christians, not just religious people, people in general are trying to coerce people into living the way that they think everyone should live through, through the law. I don't think that's what America was founded for. I, I think it was founded for freedom of worship, freedom of expression. There are limits on that. And, and obviously that's something we could get into, but but on a general level, that it's that freedom that it was that it was made for. You you touched on some issues that I believe have long been in the forefront of evangelical minds when it comes to voting. But this last year has seemed, and I'm I'm only 24, so I feel like I haven't been that involved in in political conversation within the Christian community. But this last year has just seemed absolutely nuts when it comes to Christians trying to figure out. How do we engage in politics? And I'd love to hear just what are some of your thoughts and observations been just over the last year and what what have you seen? You know, in one sense, I I wouldn't say what we're seeing right now is brand new. I do think this is something that's been boiling to this point for years now. And, And we can go back again in modern American political history and look at movements where the church became very involved in in politics. Um, If you look back all the way, I mean, look back to, if we just want to go in the 1900s, in the 20th century is kind of when the birth of what a lot of people refer to as the social gospel, 
um, whatever you think of it, it was just a movement where Christians became really involved on a social level through programs um, because of their faith. So you had Christians getting involved there, and a lot of people having different thoughts about it. Um, obviously, when we're talking about the 80s, we're talking about the moral majority, where a, a lot of Christians got very involved in politics, predominantly through the, the Republican Party. But then in our more recent history, I think we've seen this divide building. Um, when, when I was a pastor and, and on, on our church staff, I was definitely the guy always bringing up the political angle because it's something that I, I have been passionate about for a while. And even as a kid, I was interested in politics. But I, I've seen it just in the time that I was a pastor that politics are very important to people and they do cause divisions. I, I think part of what's taken place in this last year is we have we have a global de- pandemic that we're dealing with that people have a lot of different opinions on. And because of that pandemic, we're stuck at home a lot. So we have a lot more time. We can't go anywhere. We can't see people. We're frustrated. We're, we're fed up. Everyone's angry about something. The question isn't, are you angry right now? It's just, what are, you, what are you angry about? And we can't just go talk about it with anyone. We get on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever social media app you're on, and we, and we just start screaming our thoughts to the world because we need an outlet. In that sense, I think I think we're all just tired and <laughs> and frustrated. Um, but but I would agree with you. I feel like we're in territory we haven't been before. And I talk to people that are older than me. You know, my father-in-law has said he's never seen it like this before in his lifetime. He's never seen such hostility and division among political parties, and he's never seen it in the church before either. So I mean, you kind of just touched on it, but and I don't have scientific proof to back this up. Although I feel like I could probably find it, but it's my belief that COVID has driven up our time spent on social media as we've just tried to find ways to stay connected and honestly just entertain ourselves. But it seems as if that has also ramped up our anger and our short temperedness when having political discussions with friends or people that for whatever reason, we just happen to be friends with on Facebook. Do you think Christians have walked away from the biblical command to love our neighbor when we're sitting there behind a computer screen? Yeah, at times, I think I think we all have probably not responded to people in ways that, that Jesus would. Um, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, what would, what would Jesus uh, do statement? But so in my church, for example, we're going through a series of on this very thing, how do Christians engage in politics? And pastor at my church, Pete, what what he said is he said, if we are saying things that Jesus says in ways that Jesus wouldn't say it, we need to examine ourselves. And that that hit me pretty hard because I know at times maybe I've said things that Jesus wouldn't say. We got to be very careful of putting words in the mouth of God. But then I think I think if anything, the the larger theme that we've seen is the second part. Are we are we saying things the way Jesus would say them? I don't think it's been a good look for any of us, and it's been it's been really difficult. I mean, you you know that <laughs> it it sounds so foolish that like Facebook is something that we really care about, but it it kind of has become an important thing. And and I've even tried to with my own friends and people I've talked to on Facebook. I've tried to do a little bit of a so, part social experiment, but also part like actually wanting people to engage in a in a way that's respectful. And it's been so at times, but it's very telling is even on those posts where I've have you have you read any of them by the way? Did you see any of those? I have, yeah. Yeah. So you know what I'm talking about. Where even when I tried to set the tone of this is what we're looking for, 
it's people are just so quick and it's so easy to, mm. to turn and and get really angry at people over the internet. I mean, there was there was one point where four different people from various parts of my life who have I know three of the four have never met each other and never probably will, were going back and forth having this conversation with each other that got really heated at like eleven thirty at night. Um <laughs> So I woke up to the next morning going, oh my gosh, what, what happened there? And I, I don't fault any one of those people for, for caring about whatever topic we were talking about. But um, it, it certainly does seem like Facebook and venues like that are very hard for us to have a normal, respectful conversation with people. And, and I, don't, I just don't think it's been a good look really for anyone. I think in person is the best because there's two really key things that are lacking when we're trying to talk to people on the internet. I, I think the first and obvious one is is the human connection. Um, and by that, I mean, we, we can't really see each other. We, we can't actually hear audibly what each other are saying. And when, when that happens, and I think we've all done this, we, we assume the tone that someone is saying something to us with. We assume the body language, which they're saying it. We assume the reaction. And so we're losing a huge part of human communication. I, I, I think anyone could agree that you can say a statement and your tone can completely change the meaning of that statement. Facebook does not give us that ability. I heard a stat about real news and fake news, but I think it applies here too also because we are talking about politics. The, the stat was that fake news spreads six times faster than, than accurate news. And, and in a similar sense, I think we're so much quicker with our negative assumptions of people than our positive assumptions of people. So when I read something, I'm probably more likely to think that person said it with a negative intention than a positive intention. If we think about just, um, let's take social media out of it, just communicating over devices anyway. If someone leaves a period at the end of their statement or doesn't, that can change the meaning of what they're saying. So that's the first thing we're missing out on. I think the second thing we're missing out on is how when you're sitting down with someone talking, you have so much opportunity to sit there and actually go back and forth and interact with in that conversation where... If we really think about Facebook, it's such a crazy way to communicate with someone. Because, because Brenna, like right now, you and I are, are are talking over this podcast, and in some sense, we might be thinking about how different people are going to respond to it. But when when we're on Facebook, it would be like us having this conversation right now with an entire stadium of people sitting around who we know some are going to like what we say and some are going to dislike what we say. And based on what we say, are going to jump in at any moment to attack or support what we're saying. Is that how normal conversations happen? Where you're gauging everything you say, not on how the person you're talking to will hear it, but how how your grandma and your uncle and um, your friend from work and your friend from church and um, that random person from high school that you don't really talk to anymore, but for some reason they keep showing up in your newsfeed, how they're going to feel about it. It's such, that's, that's not how humans normally communicate. And so Facebook started maybe with a, with a cool reason, but man, it's become so toxic. I mean, honestly, like I, I, I didn't think I'd be one of these people, but I actually uh, a couple of days ago decided to deactivate my Facebook until at least after the election, because I just realized I, I wasn't 
actually reading anyone correctly. I was assuming what people meant by what they were saying. Um, where what I'd rather have is an opportunity just to talk with someone. I, I, I think I think in-person conversations are always going to be better. So continuing this theme of, I guess, highly charged conversations, let's talk about the idea of freedom of conscience. I, I'm actually shocked at the amount of times over the last year and a half, two years, even when I was at Multnomah, how many times I was told, via message, via DM, just FYI, real Christians, real real followers of Christ are not liberals or are not X, Y, and Z in the political world. And that shocks me. And I I, I mean, I would say vice versa. People have said that. I haven't been told that to, to my face. But, you know, there's this huge thing that if you're an evangelical, you're a Republican, and that's all you can be. So, where's the lie in that you know and and honestly this is something where when i when i became a christian i was i was 18 years old and i was very naive to all of that like i i honestly just had no clue that christians were supposed to be republicans and i guess to give a little bit of my background growing up i would say i was definitely more left leaning that's that's how most of my family approaches things and so i I I usually looked at things from that angle. So when I became a Christian, I would I would talk about political things and I just didn't even realize how unwelcome those things were. And so so one example I'll give is when when I was 18, my freshman year of college, I lived in a Christian house down in uh, Oregon State, and we went on this camping trip. And again, I'm I've been a Christian for about six months and I'm learning about Christian culture and and everything. And we're sitting around with probably like 40 guys talking and, and someone brings up President Obama. Guys start making jokes and everyone's kind of ragging on the guy without even knowing that this wasn't going to be a welcome thing. I, I said, oh, I, I kind of like the guy. I mean, I, I wasn't able to vote, but I, I think I might have voted for him. And it just got quiet. I've got like these 40 other college guys all kind of looking at me like, who is this guy? And even even one guy came to me later and he's like, yeah, like it's not really, I mean, I can't remember exactly what he said, but basically what the, what he implied was like, Christians don't really vote that way. And so I, I kind of went from that. And then I'll be honest, as a, as a young, young Christian, what I was then taught by a lot of people around me was that being a Republican was the only way to look at it. And I, I guess I just want to share about my own experience because one, I think it gives people an idea of where I'm coming from. And two, I would imagine there's some other people that have experienced the same. And, and so as I, as I continue to grow as a Christian, as I continue to, to read the Bible, um, I think initially I, I, what I was hearing from people was Christians are Republican. So I really started to learn about Christianity and about Republican ideology and try to put those together. Now, this was my experience. As I grew in my, in my own faith and read the Bible, some of the beliefs that I had before I became a Christian that would some might call liberal or left-leaning positions changed. One, I'll give one example. I, I, would say, I would say it's pretty fair to say that within, within the Democratic Party, um, there's more of an idea that it's simply evil to be wealthy, that, that having wealth means you're hoarding wealth and that's a bad thing. As I became a Christian, and, and as I, one, started to read the Bible, and two, started interacting with other Christians, 
that idea was challenged because one, I, I couldn't find anything in the Bible that said it's, it's straight evil to have a lot of money. I saw things in the Bible that said, if you, if you're responsible, if you're faithful with your resources, they, they will grow over time. That's very possible. And then also I, I met a lot of Christians who were wealthy and they weren't terrible people. So that was, that, that's one example of a belief of mine that, that changed. But there were also beliefs that I was told, this is what a Christian is supposed to believe. I just couldn't square with what the Bible was saying. I'll, I'll use another example more on the left. Growing up, I was, I was very passionate about caring for the planet. I'm in high school. I was a part of the Global Relief Club, and we, we, uh, we raised money to buy malaria nets for kids in Africa. And so helping people socially was really important to me. Helping care for the planet and not see global warming, as was, which was the phrase that we used so much at the time. That was really important to me. And then I became a Christian and, and people would tell me, that's, that's actually just a lie. The Bible actually teaches that this world doesn't really matter. It's going to pass away and God's going to burn it all up anyway. So we don't really need to be concerned for the planet. Now, I want to be very careful. I'm not saying that's anyone that's opposed to, um, to climate change, that that's what they think. But that's, that's literally what some people told me. God's going to nuke it all. He's going to burn it all up. So we don't really need to worry about it. Well, then as I start pouring into scripture more, so I start reading the Bible, okay, I see right in Genesis 1, God made the earth and called it good. He put uh, humankind there to care for the planet and to tend to it and to take care of it. And as we go throughout scripture, we see concepts like stewardship um, that are really important of caring for what God has entrusted to us. So that's an example of something that, you know, I believed before a Christian. And as I grew in my own faith, I, I felt actually more confident in that belief. So, so those, those are some examples of more left-leaning ideas I had, some that I changed, some that I actually think are biblical ideas. And, and on the right as well, I do think there are Republican ideals that are actually good. Um, Republicans talk a lot about fiscal responsibility. I do think that's, that's an important thing. And I think biblically, you can say that too. Like, if we've been entrusted with resources, again, it's actually stewardship just applied to a different area now that I think about it. Fiscal responsibility, I think, is something that, <laughs> that God would want us to care about too. But then, you know, there, there are other things that the Republican Party is very, very about that I think myself and many other Christians wouldn't necessarily be as on board with. And when you're told for so long as you walk with Jesus that that's the only way to view things is to, to love Jesus and vote Republican— it's very confusing. And at, at least in my case for a while, I, I kind of doubted if I was reading the Bible accurately because I wasn't coming to these same conclusions. And at times I've had, I, I know I've had this experience and many other Christians that don't look at things through Republican lens do. They, they, they really do have their faith doubted. And that's a, that's a very painful thing and a hurtful thing to, to accuse someone of. Here's the thing. When, when we boil it all down, um, republicanism and, and any other political ideology is one man-made theory for how best to approach policy in a government like we have in the U.S. Part of the thing is that every, every single person has something different that, that they are passionate about, motivated about. And so I really do think if you look at, let's just take some of the main political parties, Republicans, Democrats, Green Party, Libertarians, I think you can find areas of each of those parties that reflect biblical ideas and areas that don't. And 
when you look at involvement and why why different Christians get involved in different political movements, it does have a lot to do with a passion that God has given them. I, I don't know if you saw, but did, did you see the new Phil Vischer video where he talks about why white Christians mostly vote Republican and black Christians vote mostly Democrat? You should watch it because it's good and the, the VeggieTales guy is is taking us to school again. But that's that's something that we have to grapple with is we can find examples where people go against the grain, but like the stats he brings up are hard to hard to reckon with. Most white Christians vote Republican and most black Christians vote Democrat. So if you tell someone, <laughs> if you really love Jesus, you'll vote Republican, or if you really love Jesus, you'll vote Democrat, you're actually cutting off a big part of the body of Christ in America. We, we got to be very careful about that. Now, in one sense, I think why we're having this conversation is you and I have been in, um, we haven't been in the black Christianity setting. We've been in the the setting of white suburban Christianity. And so for us, our experience has been, if you really love Jesus, that, that you'll, you'll vote Republican. To me, that's the problem with saying, if you really love Jesus, you'll vote Republican is, is just that one, we, we have a larger church than just the, the white suburban American church. And we, we do a lot of harm to our fellow Christians when we, when we try to draw that line. I mean, one thing, I, again, I know from Scripture is that um, we're warned in, in the New Testament to be very careful about preaching a false gospel. If we get into the territory of telling someone that this is a qualifier of being a Christian, that you adhere to this one political party that has only existed for in its modern form for 50 to 100 years, depending on which history you're reading, I just got to imagine that God actually would have a big problem with that, that he would say that we're putting qualifiers on on faith. He would say that we're adding to the gospel, um, which is something we're we're very strongly told in the Bible not to do. But I also I wanted to ask about that uh, the way you started that question when you when you talked about freedom of conscience. I mean, just in the conversations you've been having with people in your own experience, where does that that kind of phrasing come from? Yeah, well, I saw um, a tweet from Tim Keller, who's a pastor and author maybe a few weeks ago, where he basically just said, the Bible tells us and instructs us, you know, how to care for people. We're supposed to care for the poor. But what it doesn't tell us is how to best do that. And so that leaves room for Christians to fall into these different categories, specifically within politics. And so it's reading through his, his thread of tweets and just kind of landing. I think he's really saying, it's unfair for us to say, if you're a Christian, you have to be X, Y, and Z. I think the Bible really does give us the freedom to figure out, okay, what does it look like to care for the poor in this way? And is it the best way? Or maybe it should look this way, but that there, we can't put these concrete labels on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, this is part of the difficulty and the reason for so much of our disagreement division right now is the current government that we're talking about integrating our faith into is found nowhere in the Bible. <laughs> it, in fact, we could, we could actually say that the sort of government that, that America was founded to get away from, that being in England where you had a king, um, 
is actually closer to what we see patterned in the Bible. So when when we try to make such clear cut statements on policy of how best to fix this through the through our branches of government, I, I just think we have to take a step back and again come back to this idea of walking humbly. In that sense, it's a long way from reading what the Bible tells us to do and coming up with the best idea on how to enact policies because I th- I think feeding the poor is a great example. You will hear you will hear some Christians say the best way to feed the poor is for every person to individually look out for the people around them in their community and do that. Well to me that sounds like a very libertarian way of looking at it. Then you'd have another Christian say well the 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 best way to care for the poor is to let churches be the ones in the community doing those things. And, and maybe they can rely on the government for some, some help with, with funding or, or resources or whatnot, but, but really it should be the, the churches carrying that. Okay, well, that's, that's someone who's looking at it from a um, fiscally conservative Republican lens. Well, then you have someone who says, well, we pay taxes. We pay all these taxes for, for who knows what. I would like to see my tax dollars go to government-funded programs to helping care for the poor. Okay, that's someone that's looking through a, through a dem, uh, the lens of a Democrat. I don't know that you can actually take any one of those things and say that is the way to do it. And in fact, <laughs> with, you can't do this with every political situation, but in some sense, like, wouldn't you agree it'd be helpful if every measure or every, every possible way we could think of to help care for the, the poor and feed the hungry was enacted? So we try to do it through uh, public programs, and we try to do it through churches caring for, for people in their community, and we try to do it through as individuals stepping up. So some of those, I, I really think it comes down to we just have competing parties that say, my way is the only way, and I'm going to fight to the death for this and say, this is, this is the only way we can do it. Um, and, and I, one, just in general, I think if you're a, if you're just a reflective human being, you could kind of come to the place of saying, Hey, there's sometimes there's, there's several ways to solve a problem. And we might disagree about the way that we want to solve the problem, but do we actually agree on the problem? Um, and are, are we, are we interested in helping work toward a solution together? Um, I, I mean, I think we could say that's what's, that's what's missing from, from our political realm right now. And I think that's getting into our situation as, as Christians is since we are, so many Christians are so tied to a certain party. I almost wonder if we, if we go the other way and, and put even greater emphasis on it, because if you're someone who's not a Christian or maybe you don't have any sort of, let's just take someone who's not really religious at all and you have an idea for how best to solve a problem through government policy, it's simply an idea that you have that you think might work. Well, once we attach our faith to it, oh, this is no longer just an idea. This has spiritual implication. And if, if, if you disagree with me, it's because you're disagreeing with God. Okay, that just got way more, <laughs> way more important, you know? And, and yeah, there are some things that have great spiritual, spiritual significance, but some others, I, I think even God would say, like, I actually think both ideas could work, <laughs> you know? I, I don't know. That's, that's just kind of how I look at it, that 
I think with some of these things, we're just so tied into like the party mindset. Um, and as Christians, we have to step back and say, okay, ultimate allegiance is the kingdom of God. I'm supposed to love people. I'm supposed to do justice. What's the best way to do this? Um, let me give you a good example. Again, like thinking of my own experience. Um, so I, I told you I care about the planet. Um, when I lived in Vancouver, which is in the state of Washington, um, this was, I can't remember if it was 2016 or 2018, but do you remember the carbon tax? When I first heard about the carbon tax, I thought, yeah, this is a good idea. Um, the, the basic premise was we want companies and corp- we want corporations to carry more of their weight when it comes to carbon emissions. And so I thought, that's a good thing. I'll, I'll probably end up voting for that. Then when I, when I read about it, all it was was that corporations were going to get taxed more for carbon emission, which there were there were no there was nothing written into it of how companies had to deal with that. So the general consensus was corporations are just going to pass that on to the consumer. So when it comes to oil companies for or gas companies, for example, gas stations aren't going to go, oh hey, we're going to actually take less of a profit so that we can cover this carbon tax. What are they going to do? No, they're just going to raise gas prices. So that's an example of even me as someone who I would say I am concerned about our climate and I and I do think we should take actions to reduce our emissions and, and try to find a better way of developing resources. I looked at that and went, oh, I, I, I actually can't get on board with that because I don't think that's a that's a good solution. That I don't I don't agree with that way. And what I <laughs> what I found out was a lot of my conservative friends were actually in agreement with me. They said, yeah, that's, that's a bad decision, right? Um, uh, I, I mean, another one I'd give is, I think in that same year, there was, a, there, was a, um, or there was an initiative having to do with gun ownership, and they were going to restrict gun ownership. Um, and and I, think, I think what they were going to do is say that no one could buy a firearm if a semi-automatic firearm if you were under the age of 21. I, I, think, I think if I remember correctly, that's kind of what it boiled down to. But again, like I'm someone who I, I own a firearm. I have a shotgun. <laughs> I haven't shot it in several years. I, I don't think it's wrong to own a firearm, um, but I'm also not like a very really strong. I don't, I don't actively at, on most days advocate for the, for the second amendment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but I, I have one. When I read that, the wordage of that law, what they were basically going to say is that any gun that is semi-automatic is getting put into the same category. Now, the the reason that bill was written was because they were really concerned about the AR-15. But what they were going to do is they were going to put an AR-15 in the same conversation as a as like a Ruger 10-22 hunting rifle. And and anyone that knows remotely anything about firearms would know those are two very different firearms. So so those I guess those are examples I would say from recent history that I've seen where. Um, if people would just come up with the uh, understanding that you can't just always go with your political leanings on things, you might actually realize that something's not written right. I don't know. So it, it sounds like what you're saying is I think that so many people feel like they need to have this allegiance to being a Republican or a Democrat or what have you that we never question anything that is brought up within those terms, right? If it's like, this is Republican. Whereas if we actually took the time to dig into those things, we would realize 
that I I might not actually fully agree with every quote unquote Republican train of thought or or even policy that comes across. Yeah, yeah, and that I think that's what I'm trying to get at by by using my own examples. Just saying, like I've I'm I'm trying to be a person that realizes leanings that I might have, but still maintain my own. Um, freedom of conscience. And, and I think that's the bigger one that we get ourselves into trouble because it's, it's easy to, it's easy to point the finger at other people. Um, but if we're honest, we, we need to look at our own ways that we might have just come to a decision that, Oh, I, this is the only way to, to integrate my faith in politics is by looking at what Republicans do and signing on or looking at what Democrats do inside on, sign on. Again, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that it's only Christians um, that give an unhealthy level of allegiance to Republicans, but I think the the reason we're having that conversation is because that's the that's the world that we're operating in right now. I've never been in a very um, urban liberal church setting, so I just don't know what that's like. So it's, while I can draw some broad critiques from a distance, I'm incapable of of actually putting together a real detailed, thorough critique on what they're doing because I simply haven't been there and, and walked around in that. But what I have been in and, and what I have been a pastor in and, and a youth leader in and, and just a follower of Jesus in is a more white, suburban, conservative scene. And I think there's many that feel no, no tension whatsoever and fit very comfortably into that. But I, I guess if there's something, and, and maybe this is where I have felt like a bit of an outlier, is for a lot of my time as a Christian, <laughs> I've found that I, I sometimes get accused of being some crazy far-left liberal when I'm actually just saying, oh, I actually don't agree with that particular thing. For me, it's exhausting. And I, I know I've talked to a lot of friends and family in the last year who, who have been very put off and hurt by that line of thinking. That that to me is where we've got to check ourselves and go, okay, what are we actually trying to do here? The word you used again was allegiance. What's our allegiance allegiance ultimately to? If my commitment to my political party is driving fellow Christians out of my church setting, I at least need to take a moment and think about what I'm doing and if that's if that's worth my time. I, I don't think we can say definitively by going to the Bible that any single one party is the party of Christianity. Many reasons that I've I've tried to hit on, um, and I've rambled a bit. I've, I've honestly, my brain is just full of a lot of thoughts and conversations with people over the last year or so, and, and years before that. But I just think we get into some very harmful territory when we try to enforce one one party and say that the other party does not represent Christianity in in any way, shape, or form. So the literal elephant in the room, Donald Trump, why why do so many evangelicals, as the kids say, stand him so hard? <laughs> yeah. I I uh, I thought we might get there and um, I've I've gone back and forth a lot on going into that conversation, Brenna. Um, and so I I, I guess jumping in there, like I do want to reference a verse real quick and explain why that is, but I, I think it applies here. Um, so I'm going to use that. Matthew 7 says, Judge not that you you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. 
and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Okay, here's why I shared that verse, and this is why this is so important to me as we talk about probably the most controversial part of this podcast is, Brennan, you know me. Um, we, we got to you know work alongside each other for a long time. And I think what you know about me from just your time talking to me and me being an Enneagram 7 is I want the approval of everyone, and I don't want to make anyone mad, which is why even in this own, this whole podcast, like I've – I felt this tension of trying to not offend anyone and try to be the most diplomatic about it. And in that sense, I do think that's my own issue. I have a hard time sometimes saying what I actually think because I'm afraid of what people will think. Having said that, I, I've really come to the belief that this is an area where because of what we've seen develop in the last 50 years with the things like the moral majority and this idea that um, one party is the party of Christianity, that I think we've seen a very unhealthy shift take place in the Republican evangelical form of Christianity. I want to be clear, I'm not saying that any other form of Christianity, partisan, whatever you want to say, has their issues, but I'm just talking about the one that we've operated in. My own experience as a Christian and as a pastor has been that I think there is an unhealthy commitment to the Republican Party within the suburban Christian church, which has led us to our current moment with Donald Trump. And, and what do I mean by that? One of the things I've been paying a lot of attention to for the last several years now is different polls that come out. Pew, Pew Research Center is probably the main one, but then I just try to pay attention to like all these different studies that are happening. And there's one that I heard about in, back in 2016 that has really stuck with me. It, it was a 2011 poll conducted by the Public Religion Research Institute and the Religion News Service. Um, They found that 60% of white evangelicals believe that a public official who commits an immoral act in their personal life cannot still behave ethically and fulfill their duties in the public and professional life. So that was 2011. That poll said 60% of white evangelical Christians polled said that a public official who commits an immoral act in their personal life cannot behave ethically and fulfill their duties in public office. They did that same poll in October of 2016, right around the time of a famous tape that came out containing some some language from uh, President Trump. And when they did that poll in 2016, they found that only 20% of white evangelicals answering the same question said that private immorality meant that someone could not behave ethically in public office. Now, couple things that I think are important to remember about that poll. We all would say that just because someone says that they're a Christian does not mean that they actually are. In some sense, in some places, it's, it's just an identifier that people throw on, whether they believe it or not. But I can say from my own experience of just interacting with people, I have seen a willingness among conservative Christians to make more excuses for for Donald Trump. When Barack Obama was president, I would hear tons of critiques about his personal life. I, I even heard people talk about the fact that he, oh, he might have he might have smoked marijuana in college. I heard he still smokes cigarettes, things like that. Well, 
fast forward to 2016, um, I've, I've heard conservative friends say things like, I'm not voting for a pastor, I'm voting for a president. For me, when it comes down to it, it's not the fact that it's a Republican. My, my problem is that for so long, the thing that Christianity was known for in American politics was holding maybe a higher sense of moral ideals, was, was really the line of thinking that they, they wanted people to be more moral in public office. And they said it really did matter. And in such a short time, we've seen the opinion on that shift. To me, that's that says. Does that not say something? That there's been a a forty percent swing in the amount of conservative white evangelicals who say that moral behavior matters. So, so that's all I'm. That's what I'm trying to get at. Is I I do think there has been such this need to hold on to the Republican Party and need to have a Republican president that. A lot of Christians have made excuses for someone that they wouldn't do the same if they were a Democrat. They wouldn't come close to the same. Where this comes to a lot for me is I've had so many conversations with friends and family over the last four years. This isn't the last year, Brennan. This is the last four years of people coming and talking to me and saying, Stephen, like, I'm really hurt by this. I, 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 can't, I, I can't wrap my mind around this. And I've tried to you know, talk them through it. And, and, and I want to be clear, I haven't, um, I don't think if you voted for Donald Trump that you're endorsing everything he does. I don't think if you voted for Donald Trump that, that you're, a, you're a terrible person. And I actually, I talked to a lot of people that I know voted for him for, I think, very legitimate reasons. People that have really well-defined views on policy that that voted for him in 2016. I think the part that is causing myself a lot of confusion, and maybe you, I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but a lot of people I talk to is, why are we holding on to this guy for dear life? Again, like when, when, I, when I talk to a lot of friends and people I knew about r- running up to the 2016 election, it, it went from... Donald Trump's not a real conservative. He's he's just doing this for attention. Then it was, oh, he won the nomination, but I don't I don't really like him, but I might vote for him. Where I just feel like oh, as time has gone by, people keep defending him more and more and more and more and more. And and at what point are we just going to say enough of this? You can't behave like this if you're going to be a president. It's, in one sense, it is about being presidential and being a, being a leader and having the right character issues. But it's not just that, because here's the thing. What's what's telling, let me jump back to that that poll that I shared for a moment. According to, to that and then a Pew Research study that I also found, the numbers are virtually the same now between all U.S. adults and white evangelical Protestants on whether morality matters in a presidential candidate. Scripture talks about not being conformed to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if I'm reading those statistics correctly, and if I'm paying attention to what I see happening in the church as a whole, it would seem like there is a sense of giving up on some of the things that we held to so that we could fit more into the party that we want to be a part of. I, I think that's problematic. I mean, I, I told you about like the, the shift just in my own interactions, but if we're gonna if we're gonna live for Jesus, we have to be consistent in, in what we say and think about Jesus. Either morality matters, and and we hold every candidate to that same standard if they're from our party of choice or they're not, or just admit that it doesn't matter. 
and stop making a huge deal out of the missteps of your political enemies while excusing the person that you you plan on voting for. I, I think this is the most obviously the most talked about and striking example that that we have recently. But it just uh, I don't know. Like, and and I don't think I don't think we're being crazy. Like I have uh, I've talked to one friend who who is a he's a Republican through and through. He's a conservative. He's a Christian, and you know he said I am. I don't like what I'm seeing with the Republican Party, right? And I guess I guess I would just love to see if more of those Republicans who are also Christians are out there start speaking up a little more. Because I guess here's where I, I'll come back to the Matthew seven. This this isn't the plank in my eye because I'm not I'm not strongly devoted to the Republican Party. I'm not strongly <laughs> devoted to the uh, Democrat Party. I. Most of the time, I would say that I'm I'm pretty in the middle of things. I I would say I definitely care about the environment. <laughs> That's a big thing for me. I I do care about uh, I do care about some social issues uh, like like racism, just because I've had a again like I've had a lot of friends growing up who have who have actually dealt with specific areas where they've been treated one way because of the color of their skin, and it and so it's hard for me not to care about that. But I, I, I really, truly don't feel tied to any one of these parties. And so I get it that someone might say, oh, Stephen, you're just, you're being judgmental. You're attacking Republicans when you're not a Republican, where I guess what I'm saying is, okay, well, then fellow Christians who are also Republicans, can, can you please speak up a little louder if you don't like what you're seeing with, with this party that you're committed to? Because I, I just... Man, if you if you go back ten years and you take the way that Christians and uh, who are Republicans talked about it, could you ever fathom coming up with a situation like we have now with with our current president? I want to. I, I guess I just want to make it clear that I'm I'm not saying I don't I don't hate Donald Trump. <laughs> Frankly, I, I mean, I, it's hard for me to have too many personal opinions on the guy when it's someone I've never met that I just know about because of TV and the news. And, and I have prayed for the guy many times over the last four years. And I have prayed that, that he would be more presidential and show greater respect for other people. Um, I've prayed those things, but I also have prayed that he would, he would be able to deal with all this stuff. Because I think we could all agree that being president is a difficult. <laughs> That's the hardest job in the world, or one of them. And so I, I guess I just want to make clear, I'm not, I don't feel any personal hatred toward the guy. I just don't think he's the right guy for the job. And I, I'm a little bit baffled why so many people are defending on a faith level that he is. I, I guess that's what it comes back to, is, is trying to say that this, this is the guy, this is supposedly the guy who is the representative of American Republican Christianity in the political realm. I don't know. I, I I'm struggling there. Well, Stephen, I think this this conversation has been so thoughtful on your end. I think I want to thank you for honestly, like I think it takes guts and bravery to be able to have this conversation, especially right now. Even just thinking about the election coming up very soon. And before we end, I know you mentioned a few while we're talking, but. For Christians who are just wrestling with this idea of engaging in politics or how do we interweave our faith with our political views, what are some resources that you would recommend for people to look into? So one of the most helpful books for me personally on just a really 
ground level has been a book by a pastor named Eugene Cho called Thou Shalt Not Be a Jerk. Um, It's just all about how Christians can engage in politics. I, I think he does a really good job of walking that third way of not being beholden to any one party, but also making an argument that there's a time and a place for Christians to get involved in politics. Um, I, I think he makes it better than I do. The Miroslav Volf book I mentioned, I thought that was really helpful just in framing what does it look like to be a Christian in the public sphere in a place like the United States, because we at least have to grapple with the situation we're in, which is a very pluralistic environment. And so I just think he has a lot of good thoughts on how to how to interact there. Another one I've become familiar of more recently is the Anne campaign. A lot of their stuff I've seen just comes from social media. Um, I think they're saying a lot of really good things about maintaining uh, an allegiance to the kingdom of God while still being involved in the political realm. And I actually just the, I just bought the book that they put out, um, Compassion and Conviction. I'm only one chapter into it, so I can't give a full endorsement yet. But uh, but I'm enjoying what I'm reading so far. And then and then just I would say over my time as a as a Christian, what, the pastor that comes to mind from like a national level that I think has been really helpful and challenging how I think about these things is uh, Tim Keller. I think is one who's been really good there. So just. Anything Tim Keller has to say on on this subject, I think, is really worth listening to and, and challenging. Um, and then one more I'll throw on there is is uh, N.T. Wright. Um, he's got a podcast. Benefit to him is he is from England, so he doesn't look at things through the same American government lens we do, which I think is really refreshing to hear someone who is a Jesus-loving Christian. Um, but they're in the U.K., so they're used to a whole different system. So they can kind of look into and talk into our, our scene and... Um, in a little bit of an outsider way that I think is refreshing for all of us, um, because, uh, yeah, we're all here, so this is all we know. Jesus is the number one priority. Loving people like him is the number one priority. And if you're, if you're going to engage in politics and try to affect change, do it, but try to do it in a way that honors God. Um, I, I think that that Pete Kelly quote is a good one to end on that, I, that I'm going to be thinking about. Maybe everyone, all of us could do well from thinking about that. If we are saying things that Jesus says in ways that Jesus wouldn't say it, we need to examine ourselves. So I would say that's what we should all do. Um, I'm probably going to listen to this later and be really mad at myself for how I said some things. But uh, hey, I guess that's part of learning and, and trying to do this in a better way. So, um, Brandon, I mean, thanks for thanks for inviting me to be a part of this. I was I was honestly humbled and and a little confused, like. <laughs> Why me? Um, I, I, I think there's probably a lot of really great people you could have got to talk about this, but thanks for giving me a chance to share some of my thoughts. And I hope it's helpful to anyone that is listening to it and challenging and comforting or, or yeah, helpful on any level. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want to learn more about Can I Say That? Our guests on the show or submit questions and participate in polls, please join us on Instagram at can I say that show? We love interacting with our audience and hearing how this show has affected, changed, and challenged you in your own walk. So please join us.